I want to ask this question as we develop or go forward tonight. Um, we studied Rahab, Joshua 2, and, and as I kind of researched that this week, I was really surprised at how few uh, commentators and pastors had really dealt seriously with Rahab and who she was and what God had done in her life. If I was going to ask you the question, and anybody can answer, what was Rahab's victory? Because this is a series about victory. If we were going to talk about what was Rahab's victory, what comes to mind? Anybody? And I'm sorry, I, I should have a mic, and, and I'm deaf on one side. The saving her family was certainly a victory. That, that very clearly was a victory, Say her saving her family and herself by what she did. What else? She was in the lineage of Christ. God gave her a new life, and that involved being a mom and having children, and they were part of the lineage of Jesus. What else? Faith. She shows up in Hebrews and in James because of her faith, not her past, um, not her lying, but her, her faith in God. And that stood out. Obviously, it impressed the heart of God. So that was an incredible victory. Where did that faith come from? Her acknowledgement of God. When, when she, and I, I really want this to kind of hang around in our thoughts as we think about her, but as Rahab thought about the Red Sea crossing, and what God did to deliver his people. She was afraid, like everybody else, but she kept thinking. She didn't stop just with the fear. And she kept reflecting on that, reflecting that, and she reached conclusions unique to anybody else in Jericho. And I believe with all my heart, because of that, God said, hold up, and made arrangements to rescue Rahab because of this conclusion that she had reached, which was her faith in who God is. So I think that's special, and it really, uh, on Sunday nights, I'm trying to play off of whatever we're doing on Sunday mornings, and so I want to talk with you tonight about victories of the heart, and I want to continue what we were talking about last week, but I'm actually slowing down because we were talking about rewards and crowns and, and, um, and what God gives us in terms of rewards in heaven, and, and as I've uh, had talked about that with uh, different folks, uh, I have realized that we really need to just slow down on that topic because, because I think there is some reason for us to have a lot of questions about it. Um, we don't talk about this very often. We don't teach about it very often. I can't remember maybe once or twice in my life that I heard a pastor talk about rewards and, and crowns and that sort of thing in heaven. So um, the scripture that we, we started out with last week was this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5, verse 4. We see this in Rahab, and it is the victory, and it occurs on the inside, not necessarily out there, but it's a victory of the heart. And so I want to pose this question tonight, and, and I am going somewhere with this over the next few weeks, but I, I want to slow down. I want to start with this question. If God gives rewards to believers, 
what is he rewarding? I want you to think about that with me. If God, in fact, gives rewards to believers, what is he rewarding? And I've got two or three thoughts here that I want to share. Uh, The first one is this. He is not rewarding my obedience by giving me salvation. In other words, salvation is not my reward for being obedient or for living a certain kind of life. Salvation is something else. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, however, in a very clear and a very negative way, Paul says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, by acting out this righteousness that's written in the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The best the law can do is show me that I'm wrong. But it does not have the power in and of itself to enable me to live a life that pleases the Lord. And so I've got a problem when it comes to my works and my obedience. It's not enough. In a positive way, eight verses later, Romans 3.28, he says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. If I was going to put that in a shocking statement, I would put it this way. We are made right with God not by doing what is right. I can do everything right in terms of the law. And what he is arguing is that it is inadequate that I still have sin and something else needs to happen. And so whether I say it negatively or positively, my works are not rewarded with salvation. I cannot earn my salvation. I can never be good enough to merit my salvation. Salvation is not my reward. None of my works, none of my obedience is the ground of what the Bible calls justification or being made right with God. It can never be. It's never good enough. It's always contaminated. It is never full enough. I need Christ. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. When Adam sinned, the whole human race was plunged into sin. So also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And of course, that one man is Jesus, and it's his obedience, not mine, that results in salvation. So when I put my trust in Christ, it's because of what he did and the life he lived and the righteousness that he accumulated that is credited to my account, to my life, to your life when you trust him. It's only on the basis of his obedience that I am able to receive salvation. So when we talk about rewards... They are not something given to us because of my uh, earning of salvation. Salvation is not my reward given because of my obedience. So we stand before God in eternity, accepted, loved, forgiven, justified on the basis of Christ alone. And every one of us that knows Jesus, every one of us that's put our trust in him, one day we'll stand before him. And we will be declared righteous and clean and forgiven and received and accepted because of Christ. And I didn't earn that. Jesus accomplished that for me. Second thought, if God rewards believers, what is he rewarding? Here's the second thought. He is not rewarding me for what he has done in me. Now this is you just got to hang with me. There's only one verse here I want you to see. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15.10. It'll be on the screen. 
Paul writes this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in context, what he's doing is he's talking about all the ways that he messed up, that he persecuted Christians, he, he, um, he opposed the gospel, and he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so what Paul is saying is these things that I do, these, these works that I do, my labors, my perceived accomplishments, my gifts, and my teaching, and all of this that he says that people look to him for and that he is actively doing, he says that I'm merely a product of God's grace, God's work inside me. And so there's a sense in which all of us would have to say, anything that I do that's good, anything that I've done that has made a difference in someone else's life, anything that I do that, that is a home run spiritually is really a result of the grace of God. And so whatever rewards are, it can't be based on what he's done for me. It can't be based on what he's done in me. It's something else. So that brings me to the third thought, and that's this. He's not rewarding my actions. And this may take more than one week to, to make this clear, but he's not rewarding my actions. But the inner motivations of my heart underlying my actions. In Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now let me just pause there and point out that heaven is not our reward. My reward is in heaven. But heaven is not in and of itself the reward. Again, heaven's part of my salvation. When I trusted Christ, that's something that was accomplished for me by Jesus. He finishes, he says, great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I believe the key words there in verse 11 where it says, for my sake. People who revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. The per persecution is not because of who I am, but it has everything to do with my allegiance and my devotion to Jesus. And, and I said it this morning, that there are times when you and I experience storms. We experience the conflict, the battle, the war. And it's so important to have already chosen to follow Christ before that happens. Because it's really confusing sometimes to try to do it in the midst of it. Because when it happens, I think the one thing that I want is to be delivered. And our natural tendency is I want God on my side. I want God to deliver me. I want him to enter into my circumstances. I want him to rescue me. And that's not a bad desire, but what is God after in that moment? What does he want from me in that moment? Well, what we said this morning was that he wants my allegiance. He wants my absolute devotion to him. That I'm willing to confess him before men no matter what the cost. No matter how much humiliation, no matter how much ridicule, no matter how much people speak badly, that you choose Christ. You choose him and you're going to be devoted to him. And so that's something that happens on the inside. I want you to see another verse, Matthew 6, verse 1. 
Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, this chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount talks about three behaviors, and he says the same thing about each one. Don't do it to be seen by men. You know what the three are? One is giving. What's the next one? Praying. The third one is fasting. And all three of these behaviors, he says, don't do them to be seen by men. So is it a problem with the actions themselves? Is there anything wrong with praying or giving? No, there's nothing wrong with giving, for sure. Nothing wrong with praying. Uh, Nothing wrong with fasting. Make sure your phone's off, Mike. And um, nothing's wrong with those things as far as the actions that they represent. But it has everything to do at this moment, as Jesus is talking about it, with what's going on in your heart. Am I doing it to be seen by others and recognized as an exceptionally godly person or spiritual person or uniquely good person? Is that why I'm doing it? Or am I doing it unto the Lord? It was the motivation of the heart to be seen by them that was the problem. When he wraps up this discussion of our giving and our praying and our fasting to do it for the Lord who sees in secret and not for others who can see us, he concludes the discussion in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. This is what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, look at that, there your heart will be also. And so increasingly, the thing that is happening that results in treasure in heaven is, is not the fact that I pray and fast and give. It's why I do it. It's why I, I practice those things. And if I'm doing it to him, unto him, to be seen by him, to be heard by him, to bring pleasure to him, then I'm storing something in heaven. And he, and he says that's an example that your heart devotion, your real affection, is not for people's praise, but for his. Um, I need somebody I can trust. Tanner, come up, come up here. For just a second. He sits over there. He thinks nobody ever notices he's over there. I know he's over there. And uh, how are you, man? Okay, this is really dangerous because I never carry cash. I grew up with six children in the house. And you could set a timer. If I had a dollar bill in my pocket, you know, it was going to be gone. But I have, a, I have a $20 bill right here. Okay? You see these very often? I hope so. You work at a bank, don't you? Um... <laughs> Okay, I have a $20 bill, all right? And let's say that I'm going to give him this $20 bill, all right? So go ahead and take it. I want it back. But go ahead and, and hold it, all right? Otherwise, you're just like one of them, okay? Holding that $20 bill. Now, now let me ask you, and I, I don't have a mic, so I'll get up close. Okay. All right, so you've you got to talk right here. Okay. Okay. Um, with, this, with this $20 bill, what would you most likely wind up doing with that $20 bill? Probably going out to eat. Probably go out to eat. 
So would you say that your reward would be immediate or would it be something in the future? Immediate. Immediate. Now what's, what if that was not a $20 bill? What if that was a $100 bill? What would you do with it? <laughs> he said probably eat a lot more. Okay, let me, let me up it up again. Let's say instead of a $20 bill, let's say it was a $1,000 bill. What would you do with it then? Split it up. Split it up. What do you mean split it up? Eat a little. Eat a little. What's the other part? Pay some bills. Pay some bills. Okay. All right. Okay, we're still not there yet. Let's try a little higher. This is a, this is a tough customer here. When, okay. Let's say instead of a $1,000 bill, I don't know what the next one up is, but let's say, let's say it was, no, I don't want to say the winning lottery ticket. Um, but let's say, let's say it was a check. Let's say it was a check for a million dollars. Okay, I gave you a check for a million dollars. What would you do with it then? I wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't have a clue? I wouldn't have a clue. All right, give me the money back. You can sit down. <laughs> Y'all give him a big hand. And he works for a bank, just remember that. <laughs> we have the option of focusing on what I can have now or what I can have later. What I can have later is not fully described probably to anybody's satisfaction in the scripture. It's, it's referred to as a reward but we don't have the level of description that we would like to have. But, but when we come into some money, we have the option of spending it right then or saving it for a later reward, don't we? And in every scenario that Jesus is talking about here, it's very much like that. I can experience persecution, so I have an option. I can get an immediate ward and uh, pull out a weapon of some sort, and exercise immediate retribution and feel some sense of satisfaction that I took them out. Or I can say, you know, there's another reward, and he's called me to endure persecution, to love my enemy, to bless those who persecute me, and in fact delay my sense of satisfaction for something else in the future. In a similar way, um, he talks about praying and giving and fasting. I can do spiritual activities in such a way that I get my reward right now. And so can you. I can serve. I can do things for people. I can preach and teach. I can do Bible studies, certainly. I can be charitable. I can pray in such a way and I can do all these kind of religious activities in such a way that I am fully rewarded in the moment because of the reaction or the impression that it makes on somebody who sees me. Or, if I do it unto the Lord, I may not experience any of that right now. No sense of satisfaction or blessing or well done or that's a good thing you're doing there, Don. But in fact, I'm delaying that moment for someone I cannot see to handle that and figure that out at a later date. If God gives rewards to believers, what is he rewarding? Here's my answer for tonight. We're going to take it further next week. 
I believe he's rewarding victories in the heart of the believer. That man or woman who has said, I am more interested in bringing pleasure to my father than I am in what anybody else thinks. I'm more interested in pleasing him than in pleasing anyone else. And it's not that I want to go around offending other people, but it's simply a matter of my allegiance and my devotion. And I think as we look at some other passages next week that we'll see that more and more clearly, that he's very much interested in what's going on in here. Other people see what you do and say, but he's very interested in what's going on in here, in your heart. Tonight, we're going to take just a moment to respond to what the Lord has said. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when we stand and sing, I want to encourage you, if your desire tonight is to trust Jesus, is to come forward, take one of these pastors by the hand and say, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The Bible says he loved you so much that he died for you so that everything that you think keeps you from God Everything offensive, everything sinful could be punished ahead of time and removed from your account, if you will, and so that God could come and just simply love you the very same way he would love you, um, the way he loves his own son. And so when you trust Jesus Christ, there is immediate forgiveness available to you for all your sin. There's also a new relationship with God that he makes available to you. That when you trust Christ for salvation, what we believe takes place, because God's word teaches this, is that his Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. And he is there to enable us to overcome the damage of sin in our life, to to grow, to change, to become more like Christ in the way we speak, in in the way that we act. And so if you're staying away from Christ, staying away from Jesus because you think I'm not good enough, the cross is the thing that takes away the offense. So it doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what Jesus has done for you. And so as we stand and sing, I want to encourage you to boldly and without shame declare your allegiance to Christ. Put your trust in him for salvation and for a new life. Come and talk to these pastors. They'll share scripture with you. To help you see it for yourself in God's word. And you can leave here tonight with a new life. If you just need someone to pray for you, to encourage you, maybe you're struggling with a matter of the heart, maybe you have a burden that you came here with tonight, this is also a time of prayer. And I encourage you, we may be singing, you may just want to bow your head right there in the pew. Grab the hand of someone next to you and say, would you pray for me? Or come down here and kneel and pray at the front. Pray with me now. Let's respond to him. Father, thank you for your for the way that you speak to us through your word and through your spirit. And Lord, with every person in this room, I know that your Holy Spirit speaks and has spoken. And because there is a uniqueness to the needs of each person here, I know that you have spoken uniquely to each one. And so Lord, in this time of response, we, we want to give you praise. We want to say thank you for speaking to us for loving us through your word tonight. And we want to be responsive to that. So would you lead us? Would you guide us? Will you help us 
respond to you in these moments. Let this be our worship to you. In Christ's name I pray.